Thanks so much for finding us here at the Morning Glory Project. I'm your host, Betsy Graziani-Fassbender, and my co-producer, Angela Washington, and I are ever so proud and honored to bring the stories of amazing people to you. These are survivors, thrivers, innovators, and trailblazers who tell us not just their stories, but how they got through whatever they got through to get to where they are. We hope you find them as inspiring as we do. Thanks so much for listening and for giving us the honor of your time. It is my joy and my pleasure to bring to the Morning Glory Project today, Karen Grassley. For many, Karen Grassley is synonymous with Carolyn Ingalls, the beloved character she portrayed in the long-running series, Little House on the Prairie, the series that brought to life one of the most adored American children's book series ever by author Laura Ingalls Wilder. But Karen doesn't profess to always be as straightforward and ever agreeable as the character of Ma, for which she's best known. In her candid memoir, Bright Lights, Prairie Dust, Karen offers us a glimpse behind the curtain of an actor's performances and reveals the elements of her life as a woman who came of age in the turbulent 60s, as a stage and screen actor, and as one who faced her own struggles with depression and alcoholism. She reveals the tenacity, work ethic, and dedication to her craft that kept her moving forward in her life and career. This memoir, it's a soulful, candid story filled with humor and heart and wisdom, and it really celebrates and honors womanhood in all of its complexities. Karen Grassley, thank you so much for joining me on the Morning Glory Project. I'm so honored and pleased to have you. Thank you, Betsy. Thanks for asking me. Well, I want to start with kind of the last line of that bio that, that I stole from the back of your book, which is that this book celebrates and honors womanhood in all of its complexities. Can can you tell me what prompted that particular part of that bio? How you think of it? Oh, I think it runs right through from the time I was a little girl, uh, the way that my mother uh, raised us, my sister and I, and um, the kinds of roles that I got to play and how the history that I was living through informed those roles. So I just feel like womanhood, feminism, um, the the longing for a woman to be fulfilled is all through my story. Well, and it's interesting too, because, and I'll admit that I, I'm sort of your target audience for Little House. And, and that was the way in which I became acquainted of you. I was a child growing up in the seventies and watching oh. of that era. I was a fan of the books. I'd read them all as a child. And Aside from just being a fan of that series, now meeting you and, and reading your story, it strikes me as so interesting that you were a woman of the 60s playing a woman of the, what, 18? 1850s, 1860s, yeah. Yeah, so it was interesting to see how that role was a time when women weren't celebrated as in, in a feminist way. What What was it like for you to play a character that, was so in some ways the same as, in some ways very, very different from the environment in which you found yourself as a woman? Well, I based the character largely on my own mother's experience. 
who grew up in rural early 20th century, uh, went to school uh, barefoot or on a horse, taught in a one-room schoolhouse, just as Carolyn Ingalls did, and had a lot of toughness in her character mm-hmm. and physically was very strong. And so that was my role model for the character. Mm-hmm. Then by the time we were doing it, of course, it was the 70s. And the new feminism was beginning to kick in. So right around the same time that we started filming Little House, I helped to instigate a woman's rap group with some of my friends. And we began to have conversations that a lot of women had never had before. Now, just a minute. A women's rap group today might mean something very different than it meant in the 70s, of course. Uh, We're not talking about the musical genre rap. You're talking about a women's conversation group where there was enlightenment and sharing and all of that going on. I'm supposing that's what you mean. I shouldn't presume, Karen, but... Yes, you should. You're exactly right. Of course, rap means talk. Right. So it was a women's talk group, and um, we found it very stimulating, uh, very supportive, um, and and it raised all kinds of issues for us, and unspoken, perhaps um, even repressed uh, desires or resentments uh, that we carried. So it was really educational, and that fed right into the Hollywood fight for the Equal Rights Amendment. Well, and that was at about that time. I remember because I was in I was in high school when the Equal Equal Rights Amendment failed, and it was devastating to me. I, it was unfathomable to me at that age to think that my country, that was so based on freedom and all of that, didn't and equality, didn't regard half of its population, myself included, as equal. It seemed so preposterous to me. You were a more mature woman than I was as a teen at that time. It must have been so strange to have the reality of your conversations and enlightenment and the things that were growing in your community and then have that happen. Oh, yes, of course, it was very, very shocking. But, you know, what's happening right now with women's rights is even more shocking to think that they could actually take away rights that we've had for 50 years. Unbelievable. Well, you know, it's how how I've sort of thought of that, Karen, is in my youth when the ERA didn't pass, I remember thinking that I was so impatient with progress not going forward fast enough. I I was accepted that that was the case, that we would have to keep working, but I honestly didn't anticipate it going backwards. No, that's right, Betsy. It's absolutely unfathomable now that this could be happening. And for those of us who, like you, thought, well, of course, we didn't make the ERA this time, but next time, soon, soon. (laughs) Uh, Well, and then in the backdrop of that or in the forefront for you, there was also your life as an artist and and having to be in a profession where you have to constantly put yourself out and then at the same time be in a context where 
largely men were making the decisions about whether you got parts or whether how you should play them or and not just on little house but in in general can you talk a little bit about i guess it's sort of an odd juxtaposition of this enlightenment happening in the women's movement at that time and the system not yet and certainly the profession not yet catching up to that yes well of course we're all aware of the huge uh hashtag Me Too movement over the last number of years. Um, but in addition to harassment and assault, um, as you said, it was a man's world. The men had the power. The men made the decision. Um, when I was at drama school in London, they told us, if you're a woman, there will be 30 times as many parts for men as there are for you. Mm. So uh, much as um, people of color now tell us we had to be that much better just to get on an even playing field with you guys. Mm. So it was for females in the profession even though, you know, everybody likes um, to see an uh, actress on stage and it's exciting and all of that. But um, it's a tough, tough business. And I was grateful for the um, lessons my folks had given me about work ethic and hanging in and trying to learn lessons from difficulties rather than give up and stuff like that. Well, so let's liquor there for a minute, because one of the things, and, and the, I'd say full two thirds of the front of your book is not about Little House at all, but about your life as an actor, your life as a woman, your life during this era. And and thank you, by the way, for letting us in at a peak of that, because it's always fascinating to learn of somebody else's life and to peek behind the curtain. But I was struck by the fact that you didn't come from a family of actors. This wasn't in your parents' vision for you in the future. <laughs> and, and you laugh because I think it was, they really, really weren't. I don't want to say not supportive, but it wasn't exactly their vision of you is what I'm gathering. And yet you credit them with teaching you this tenacity and this work ethic. I'm wondering how much of that came to play and how did you handle the rejections there had to be with if there are 30 times the number of male roles as female there had to be stiff competition for the female roles stiffer competition for the female roles than for the males how does one who's sensitive by nature who's delicate and i don't mean delicate and weak but i mean delicate in terms of sensitivities how how does that how did you tolerate that not very well uh <laughs> It was really hard, you know, those early years in New York in particular. I had already gotten my equity uh, card and done a season of rep before I got to New York. Fortunately, I, when I think about the young women who arrived there fresh out of high school or even fresh out of college with no professional experience, perhaps not even any professional training, and are faced with the complicated world that that they face, I just think, you know, they're, they're just sitting ducks 
for being taken advantage of. Mm. I was lucky because I was a little bit older and I did have that training and that professional experience behind me. But even so, I became depressed. I lost confidence. Um, my insecurity expanded. It was very, very hard. And I, I did have to get some psychological help because it was just too hard for me. Well, you talk you talk for a good while about Jungian analysis mm. and the role that that played for you. And, and for those unfamiliar, maybe you can tell us a little bit about what that was for you and, and what what changed for you in having analysis and having having that experience? Well, the goal of a Jungian analysis is individuation, which means becoming yourself and becoming whole so that you're not hiding parts of yourself from yourself. And so that was a great journey for me because I love learning um, I was plagued with horrible, ter- terrifying nightmares. And those began to shift and change during the analysis. And the analyst was very wise about women and about uh, uncovering the unconscious. So, so she could really guide me and help me in that process, which lasted about five years. You know, it strikes me as, as kind of funny and ironic, Karen, that an actor who spends her time becoming someone else needed to go to analysis to become herself. <laughs> there's there's something kind of uh, Escher-esque about that circular thinking there. Yes. In reading your story and in talking to you before this conversation, we talked about how there's something that happened to you also in the roles that you became confident in as you achieved them, as you grew, as, as you grew in your skills, as you grew in Jungian analysis, that, that more mm-hmm. confidence did arrive. It was not easy one though, that, that depression and, and indeed alcohol abuse started to really weave their way through your world, even while you were here, ironically playing this, clean living <laughs> Christian woman in the prairie, right? And here you were struggling with, with alcohol addiction. Can you say a little bit? It must have felt so, I'm struggling for the word here, so dising, so incongruous to be playing well, one, living another. Well, of course, I didn't experience it from the outside. Um, so from where I was, I was um, working very hard, doing my best, trying to play this character. The demands of a television series, a one-hour drama show, are very, very high. The long hours and physical discomfort and, in my case, um, being um, the other adult lead so that we had to pick up all the extra work at the end of the day after the children went home. So it was demanding, and I didn't uh, understand uh, what was going haywire. I was okay at work, uh, 
but at home, uh, the drinking uh, would go out of control. I would have these um, temper tantrums. Um, I very much uh, was in victimhood. It was just crazy. And um, I, I didn't understand that all of that complexity at its root was the disease of alcoholism because who knew what the disease was really mm. you know? and, and that wasn't even really the language that was being used that much back then now we we often hear alcoholism and addiction referred to as diseases but that was fairly new vocabulary back then well i guess it wasn't really um well enough expressed in the media right yeah. well certainly the founders of aa had had begun to educate in those in those more private circles, but not so much in public. And, you know, it's, it also, this is sort of weaving back the other thread that we were talking about, about feminism here, sort of finding your voice as an actor when you're in the role of someplace, someone else, but then at home, feeling the stress, the worry, the anxiety, the fear, the mood swings, the depression, and drinking to sort of manage all of that. Yes, it's quite bizarre. Uh, and and uh, strange, but you know, um, I was very very lucky uh, to hit my bottom. I believe that the success of the show contributed to my hitting my bottom in two ways. One was I could buy a lot more liquor. Mm-hmm. Before I was poor, I I I didn't you know have very much. That was one way. And the other way was that I could no longer blame the fact that I didn't have a job or uh, didn't have some success. Uh, So what was the problem here? You lost your excuses for drinking? Yes. Hmm. My rationalization. Hmm. Yeah. So it was very... Uh, important in my story that I have this success in order to get to change. And then, you know, right around the time that I got sober, the women's movement really hit its stride. And what year was that? 77. And in Hollywood, there was a burgeoning movement to raise funds to help the ERA to go out, to lobby, to uh, discuss in public, to go to rallies, you know, to really carry the word out there. We have to do this this time. So it was a very exciting time. But also, again, another irony, because here you were outside of the set, claiming this power, finding this movement, finding your camaraderie with women, and you were being, in a way the powers that be in the little house world, Michael Landon and others were sort of putting you back into the, um, would you like more coffee, Charles role <laughs> as opposed to, to, as opposed to letting Carolyn be the full woman that she was. Can, can you say just a little bit about that? And, and certainly this is not bashing anyone or any. No, of, no, uh, no, no. You know, the writer for little house mostly had come out of, the tradition of the Western. So they were used to writing for men. 
And a lot of them had worked on Bonanza for all those years. Some of them had worked on High Chaparral. That was their métier. So mm -hmm. to write for a woman was a stretch. And what I found very interesting, as I did research for the film we did about uh, domestic violence, is that when men think of a good woman, they think of an obedient woman. <laughs> they think of a woman who is in service and maybe is not too outspoken. And so as Carolyn, I was always pushing to stretch that characterization to a stronger view of womanhood. And it was challenging. But by the last couple of years, a woman that I had met, a writer, uh, got on staff, and uh, she and I uh, created a story about uh, the women all going on strike until the men signed a petition for common property and, uh, you know, r property rights for spouses. So... We we moved along. <laughs> it took years, but we did move along. Well, Karen, this book is uh, beautifully written, and I I'll confess that I listened to it first, and then I read it. Oh, thank you. Because I want because there was something so familiar in your voice that as a little girl reading the books of Laura Ingalls Wilder to read the books first of all written by a woman, and then written about. Yes, Pa was a huge character in the books, but also Carolyn was always my my wish for a mom in some ways. Mm -hmm. I, I think that you became America's mom in lots and lots of ways. And, and it seemed, too, that you became a second kind of mom to the children on your set. And it was so evident in your portrayal. I'm so um, touched and pleased and pleased that your parents gave you that reluctant support at first but that became full-throated support later but that they also taught you the tenacity to to keep on at it it was very inspiring thank you thank for you. sharing this time with me today and for sharing bright lights prairie dust with us all thank you so oh, much thank you so much betsy i really appreciate that I've had a bit of time to reflect on my conversation with Karen Grassley, author of Bright Lights, Prairie Dust. And I'm going to admit to you here that when I started reading this book, I started it as a fan <laughs> because I, as a little girl, like so many of women of my age and before and after me, for that matter, I was a huge fan of the Little House in the Big Woods series by Laura Ingalls Wilder, the seven or eight books that were written in that, including Little House on the Prairie. And then when it became a TV series, Little House on the Prairie, and and Karen played Carolyn Ingalls, the mom of little Laura Ingalls, I was equally enamored. So I started this thinking that it was going to be sort of a behind the scenes of Little House on the Prairie book. And toward the end of the book, there is some of that. But it's much, much more than that. It's really Karen's story of determination. And really, it's I sort of saw it as three stories of determination. One, 
her as an artist facing rejection of an industry that's very competitive and how hard that must be to, to face so many rejections and to struggle to be literally a struggling artist. And secondly, for her as a woman who came of age in the 60s and then was filming this series during the 70s about a woman in the 1800s, <laughs> but filming in the 70s at a time when women were just gathering of their own power and their own voice, but she was working in an industry that had been built by and was still operated by men. So all of those things that took place in that process. And then the third layer of her story of determination is for her as a person who struggled with mental health issues, depression, and with addiction, and what it took to overcome that and to, to be a survivor now in her mature years and still a working actor with amazing parts that she's still playing. The through threads that I gathered, the sort of extra blooms that I gathered from my conversation with Karen and from reading her book, are that two things were really instrumental in her getting through those challenges. And one was what she credits her parents for teaching her is a work ethic, that, that there's just a necessity to get the work done. And not just her work as an actor, but earning a living, paying the bills, doing the right thing, managing money, coping. That, that there's sort of a one foot in front of the other quality to her getting through some of those challenges. But the second one also she credits with getting into therapy with at that time Jungian analysis, which is really about coming to terms with and understanding your deeper motivations, your qualities, your strengths, your challenges, and coming to be the fullest human being that you can be. So we might not all go into Jungian analysis and we might not all have parents that taught us about a work ethic, but I think that we can all be inspired by the idea of breaking things down into one step in front of the next. And we can all be inspired by the idea of coming to a deeper understanding of ourselves, whether it's through a professional therapist of some kind or another process, spiritual or psychological, that helps you to do that. And those are the extra blooms that I gathered from this conversation. Thanks so much for listening to the Morning Glory Project, and I hope that wherever you are, that you are finding your own way to bloom. <laughs>